What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here by co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how you doing today, man? Doing well, man. Doing well. But I have a simple favor to ask you. Please plug our podcast all the time. Yeah. Subscribe on YouTube, soundcloud.com slash Pod. Give us a rating review on iTunes and subscribe there as well. We appreciate all of our fans, all of you leaving us feedback, um, and go and follow follow us on Twitter too at NostalgiaPod. We post a lot there about things that we don't necessarily talk about in pod. We got a pretty good slate today. We're going to be talking Waxahachie, No Name, The Deuce, as you mentioned, A Simple Favor, and then we're also going to be live streaming tonight after the Emmys, if anyone wants to tune in, and we'll be putting that on at the end of our weekly podcasts through SoundCloud, so you can catch that if you don't catch it live. So, big show today. Let's start with Waxahachie, probably the smallest of all the things we're going to be talking about today, just in scope. Katie Crutchfield, we talked about her, I think we talked about her album Out in the Storm last year. Maybe not, I think. You mentioned it it at least. Yeah, Yeah. it was definitely on my year end um, as an album that deserved some recognition and this was a, a short EP, Great Thunder, based off of a, the short-lived band that she was a part of that recorded these six songs. Back in 2012, she really wanted to redo them, make it a little bit crisper, take out that lo-fi sound. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you found this like a very boring album and did not like it, but am I wrong? No, I mean, I, I see the appeal. I think like the minimalist production I think fits mm-hmm. really well with like her style of songwriting. The production doesn't get in the way. It just really lets her voice kind of carry the songs. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're vibing with the emotional wavelength that she's on, I think the songs actually work pretty well. Obviously, again, not, not my cup of tea, but you know, I, I think it is well, well done. I'm actually wondering what you thought of her voice on this, because it definitely wasn't as sharp as it was on Out in the Storm. And I think that was partially intentional and partially because uh, she was sick pre-recording. What, what did you think of just like her, her sound, uh, her vocal sound on this? Just record later when you're not sick. <laughs> I mean, she recorded this at uh, Justin Vernon's like humble abode in Wisconsin, right? Like Hell yeah, dog. I think if you got that hookup, you know, you can postpone a few weeks. He won't mind. <laughs> Again, I think her voice does a lot for someone who's not like wailing and she's not like piping it up either. But I don't know. I, I think carries throughout all the songs. But um, I'm not super, you know, well versed in any of her music, right? Any of her various projects. But how did you think about this coming in from someone who's listened to her other four other records and you know her other stuff? Yeah, you know, Out in the Storm was really her breakout album. It's a really, really good album. And I think the thing that stood out about it was Waxahachie has always been indie. She's very, I don't want to say minimalist, but she relies a lot on acoustic guitars, plucking away at those, plucking away at piano chords. She keeps it pretty simple a lot of the time. But Out in the Storm was very layered and complex. Uh, and it really brought in a lot of electric guitar, uh, really gave a nice like uh, ambiance to the music. And then she kind of went back to this. So it's a bit of a... Uh, back and forth because this is pretty minimalist only a couple songs feature more than just a piano and a guitar Um, so it's it's a bit of a shift uh, back for her for her but I think it's really I think it's a really well done album because her bread and butter is always going to be her lyrics and I think kind of going back to what I was mentioning mentioning before her voice on this and what with the lyrical content of being a lot about heartbreak breakups um, you know broken people actually kind of adds this feeling to it of like desperation of of really straining to uh like meet a person where there's at where they're at so i think the album's really effective and it's really well done um 
I, I like that some indie people that broke out more recently but have a deep catalog kind of like Carsey Headrest are going back and, and redoing some of their older takes. Right. And if I had to pick one song off this, I'd probably go Take So Much, the last one. Uh, Chapel Pines, the, the single off this, is also uh, one of my favorites. So, all right, so switching from a, a female artist who is really rising up in her genre of indie rock and Waxahachie to someone who uh, I think is going to be rising up pretty quickly in the rap game. No Name Man, dropping her second album, Room 25, this, this past weekend. Kind of a surprise drop, too, right? Yeah, she only gave us like a month's notice, but no singles, really. You know, she's been relatively quiet this leading up to it. So, yeah, pr- pretty surprising. And No Name actually turns 27 probably the day that this will be dropping, uh, the 18th of September. Um, so she's fairly young and i mean she kind of came up in the chicago scene friends with chance friends with saba and saba's on this this album uh which i think is a pretty good feature we we reviewed telephone i believe back in 2016 or at least you did yeah we definitely mentioned it uh one of the songs on there, diddy bop was in my top 10 songs of 2016 uh was a big fan telephone for sure um i actually thought that telephone was you know such a standout mixtape that she deserved to be an xxl freshman at the time Obviously, she didn't have nearly a big enough profile to uh, accomplish that, but it was still a really impressive, you know, debut project. And I think she follows it up really well on Room 25. Yeah. Give, tell me a little bit more about what you liked about Room 25. What do you think worked? Uh, well, I just think she has, you know, a really uh, unique sound that is, you know, fun to listen to. Um, if you read about her, she says that she actually came to hip hop due to her interest in slam poetry and i think that you know description of her flow of her cadences kind of makes sense where it's almost like she's saying a lot like she's speaking pretty fast but it almost like doesn't come across like that i don't know it's like (laughs) i thought this weird metaphor i was like she's kind of like james harden the way she raps where it's like (laughs) you know it's like you you stop speed up and really fast and slow down really fast and it's Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just something that came to me but I thought, uh, you know, she followed that up with some really cool songs. And again, she, I think, really diversifies uh, the uh, her style throughout throughout the project. And it's only, you know, 30-something minutes, so pretty quick listen, like Telephone. But I think it's a natural, you know, next step from that. So I was uh, very pleased with the project. Yeah, you know, I, I love the whole just uh, overall sound of this. You know, it kind of fluctuates between jazz rap and with some you know funk beats at times uh some orchestral fills uh and swells at, especially near the beginning of some of the songs uh, i also think she does a really good job um as like a, a host of her album in a way she you know she really uh lets the people that she features kind of flex at points and and just moves off to the side then kind of seamlessly comes back in to take over a song um just overall a lot of command and, and a very sharp album that i think is really intriguing even though it kind of has a mellow tone to it that i think at points it can get a little too mellow um well what, what were some standout songs for you yeah i actually i thought the second song uh black exploitation mm. was really awesome yep um and then she starts off like saying that how like you doubted that she could rap because <laughs> she was a girl stuff like that um and then you know, there's a lot of like you know serious themes on this. I forget. There's a there's a song on telephone, something casket, about just like being tired of going to uh, you know, funerals and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, due to like gun violence and things, and 
she, you know, she, there's some, you know, police lyrics on here. And, you know, I think, you know, you can kind of find a song you like, whether it's something fun or playful, like the first few songs or something a little more deeper. Um, or even she gets pretty personal about her own journey, or she, you know, moving from Chicago to Los Angeles. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think, like you said, I think at the worst po- points for her in general, it can be a little too mellow, a little too, like, wishy-washy, you know. It just doesn't really, you know, I guess, get anything done for you as a song. But I think when she does succeed, which is most of the time, um, you know, it's just really engaging. And Absolutely. And again, it, it's a unique sound, so that it's pretty refreshing. I really like Ace, you know, with uh, Smino and Saba. The way that they just kind of trade... Uh, trade verses and and the way that they each like switch up their flows over the same beat i think is really well done um she seems to bring like just a presence to this album that seems way beyond her years and she has like almost a swagger even though she kind of raps very quietly most of the time it's almost like this silent confidence and uh, i'm really excited to see where where she can go as you know she she gives me a lot of like lauren hill vibes and I think she could really make a name for herself moving forward, even if she doesn't really want to have a name. So, um, little little no name joke for you there. Let's. Uh, it sounds like this is a, an album we're probably gonna be talking about potentially near the end of the year, maybe on some some best of lists, or at least maybe one of the songs off here. Um, if you want to stay up to date with all the songs we're talking about and all the albums we like this year, go to. Uh, Spotify, Nostalgia Best of 2018. We're updating it, and we'll have songs from Waxahachie and No Name on there. Um, just to, I wanted to get your quick thoughts on Eminem's uh, respond uh, r- response to Rap Double. Uh, yeah, responds MGK with uh, Kill Shot. Took him a few days to come out with it. And, uh, you know, I, it was better than I expected from Eminem, but I think that his best strength the past few years has been reacting to other people and other things. So he was kind of dying to get into this fight and go at mgk i know a lot of people are uh you know burying mgk saying he got body and yeah he had some uh good 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 bars whether i thought i really i legitimately laughed out loud at the g easy halsey line when i listened to it for the <laughs> first time um i thought the man bun line was pretty funny too mm-hmm. but i will still side with rap devil because i think that's more fun to listen to the rap devil hook just really funny yeah. so and MGK, he's running with this. He's talking about it. He's got an EP, Bloom, Bite, something would it be. He's got an EP coming out this Friday. You know, smart on MGK because Eminem just fucking threw him a line and he's fucking <laughs> jumping right in the boat with it. So it's yeah, uh, man. really fun. White on white crime. <laughs> Regardless of, of how good the kill shot was, I mean, the fact that Eminem's punching down to mgk is just a win for him so why don't we move on though to something that i think we both really like the deuce season two we talked about season one david simon's most recent project for hbo um looking at prostitution the porn industry back in 70s new york city and you know i think the thing we we talked about maybe not ad nauseum but quite a bit on this is about how david simon's just such a great world builder and he does all these little things to give characters depth in a really creative and and a really interesting way that gets people sucked into the world of the shows that he creates i don't think the deuce is any different in that season two though makes a pretty big jump which is a bit of a risk for I think any show is making a, a jump of six years. I think it's four years. 
the right. I know that season one starts in 1971. This one starts in 77, but I oh, can't okay. remember if season sure. one ends in 71. So it, gotcha. it yeah, might that's not. What it is. Um, but I mean, did you feel like the jump from the end of season one to the beginning of this? There's huge anything that really stands out to you and makes you kind of feel like, huh, like that needs to be filled in. Right. Well, I, I think um, I, I like I like the jump because the show could have rested on its laurels and just kind of ran it back similar to what it did with season one, just more of, you know, prostitution in the deuce mm-hmm. in Times Square in that, you know, mid 70s time. Right. And it could have been fine. Uh, all the characters, it's really deep bench of, uh, you know, players and they're all pretty well fleshed out through the first season. So you, you could have just kept it going. But mm-hmm. I think this time jump to 77 switching more from prostitution to pornography switching you're also changing up your setting where new york city um they talk about in the first episode uh they're less sympathetic to uh sex running times square right they want to clean up manhattan midtown right Mm -hmm. so i think changing the whole vibe of the world and also having some of the characters change where some of them are becoming more like high-end you know porn stars as opposed to just being on the street it's just really such a cool change to see the show just make this evolution just in one mm-hmm. season. Um, and I didn't really think of any gaps that need to be filled. I'm sure you could you know, probably look for a hole if you wanted to, but I didn't, I didn't feel inclined to because you know, it's still a world I recognized, but it was different and you know, refreshing enough that I was just really happy to be back you know, yeah. in this new twist on a Simon world I thought I already knew. So I'm really excited about the season. Yeah, and I think kind of going back to where I started off uh, prefacing, you know, our, th- this discussion is David Simon builds these worlds, but he builds them around a point. You know, in in the wire, he was building around the point of how it's the, there's this like mechanism of of street crime of uh, the involvement that police have in, in in perpetuating that. And I think what he's looking at here is this evolution of prostitution to the porn industry. And how the sh- the power kind of shifted from, you know, pimps and people who were, uh, you know, running these girls on the street to the women having a lot more power. And this is kind of something you start to see coming about in the beginning of the season. Um, I guess I'm wondering as season two kind of takes off, and we're seeing uh, how each episode's kind of starting to shape what the season's going to be ultimately about. Which characters do you find yourself caring the most about? I mean, I think Candy's a pretty obvious one mm. just because, you know, going back to the first season, I think one of the really important things the show got right that need to get right was that it was very tasteful with how it portrayed settings, themes that are have a lot of sexuality, a lot of nudity, mm-hmm. specifically toward, uh, regarding women. So it's always been, you know, handling that well. I think um, Simon and Pelicanos, I think, mentioned that there are a lot of women involved in the making of the show and in the writer's room and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But Candy always has been a character with a ton of agency, right? You just get invested in her, and you know she comes a long way uh, by yeah. the end of the first season, and it's continuing in season two. So I think just watching her is uh, pretty, you know, pretty easy to do. But also like someone like uh, Cece, I thought Gary Carr was a big standout in season one, one of the yep. pimps, and you know I think we already can see the signs that as the pimps start to lose power and they. You know, what they thought they knew is changing. Seeing how that will unfold, I think, will be uh, really awesome. And you see all the other pimps, too, how they're, they're starting to see, you know, where the tide is going. Um, and so, yeah, I would pick, probably pick CC and uh, Candy. But, I mean, I think 
you know, like even like Dominique Fishback's character, like again, like they're starting to flesh her out, and uh, the Franco characters are fine. You know, I think they serve their purpose for the show, but I'm more interested in some of the other people. Yeah, you know, I I agree with you. I think Candy's the obvious one, and I think you're supposed to probably care about her the most right now. But someone I find really intriguing as a character is Emily Mead, who plays Lori. Um, you know, you start to see her character. She's now been, uh, you know, r- working the streets for five years as a prostitute now under CC's control, and she's starting to see all these w- other women around her having way more um, individualization, having way more power, uh, autonomy over their future, and I-, I think that's really leading up to a really interesting, um, you know, battle between her and CC for uh, her future. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with your take on, on Franco's characters. Um, it's also just with everything going on around Franco, I do find it a bit distracting, but I think the show in a lot of ways kind of um, makes those characters have a very specific purpose for mm-hmm. what's going on and kind of lets the other characters move forward right now. Yeah, um, it's it's not like either Franco character is like the hero or like right. the big winner of the show. So I think if anyone has reservations about watching Franco on screen, that's probably goes a long way, you know, because you're not watching him be the, you know, A1 protagonist and, you know, get all these dubs. So I think that right. helps. I do find Vince's character with, um, what what's uh, what's his girlfriend's name in this? I forget her name, but I like her. I, I like her performance a lot. Yeah, I, I think, oh, it's Abby. Vince and Abby. Um I think their relationship's really interesting because Abby seems to be moving to, to kind of take power away from uh, like powerful men in the society, and she's right. kind of moving towards this like protest uh, sphere. And Vince, I think, is—I mean, he's just trying to like hold on to her and how it's going to come into conflict. There's a lot of like little conflicts brewing, which I think are really fun to watch. Um, I find myself not really caring about the the police side of things, and so they don't really show too much of it. I guess that probably adds to it. Um, but right. I think overall, David Simon's really uh, creating another masterclass. I I didn't really watch Show Me a Hero. I know that there were some, fan. yeah, that you're a big fan of that, but that that was probably after the wire. Some people consider that a bit of a disappointment um, in terms of like typical Simon properties. Mm-hmm. How does how does that compare to this show for you? Yeah, so I think Show Me Show Me Hero overall has less um, less of an ensemble. Um, there's still an ensemble, but it's more. I mean, Oscar Isaac plays Nick Wasisko, this young hotshot uh, Jersey politician, and he is the central focus of the show. He's in almost mm-hmm. every scene, and watching him rise and then quickly fall is the whole focus of the show. It's a mini series; it's always intended to be one thing that's based mm-hmm. on a real person. Um, so I think it's different in that regard. Uh, obviously, has all the Simon DNA you think of, and then it has a lot of great actors in it. Like uh, Winona Ryder uh, was in Show Me a Hero. I think that was one of her big, you know, comeback roles pre-Stranger Things. But I think the Deuce, I think the Deuce just kind of has like more of an open-ended, um, you know, like message or theme. You know, th- there's just more going on in the Deuce, whereas Show Me a Hero was more singularly focused. So that's bigger what I story for yeah. sure. It sounds like. Um, any any other thoughts or, or storylines or anything about the Do season two that you're really looking forward to, or that you find to be good or, or not good so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have nothing negative to say. I, I think I agree with you about the about the police. If there's, I guess they just have to be there because 
not just they're they're part of the story at the end of the day. Uh-huh. But yeah, none of the cop characters I've you know got attached to, and that was the same way in season one. Um, something I didn't notice though when I was uh, just re- re- you know refreshing on everything about the show last week. So um, Mar- uh, Margarita Laviva plays Abby, right? And Abby, uh-huh. when the show starts in the early seventies, Abby what drops out of college, right? That's how we first meet yep. her, right? And bring maybe even her freshman year. So she's at this point in her mid twenties, mid to late twenties, right? Mm-hmm. Probably mid twenties. Do you know how old Margarita Laviva, the actress playing her, is? Twenty-two. She's thirty-eight. Uh, really? Wow. Yeah. You look at her. You have no idea she's thirty-eight. So good on her. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I have no idea about that. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm like kind of taken aback now. That he said that. Uh, wow. Well, Only I mean, two years yeah. younger than Franco. Crazy. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's just thinking about it now, because I'm thinking about the, the part about the police. It, I guess, like, the one interesting thing is that it does seem that, like the political ambitions of the administrations moving into the city at this time are going to be yeah. influencing how things play out from the top down. And I think Simon does that really well, too, of, like, explaining these, like, complex changes in the story that happen at such different levels and how they trickle down to everything else. Um, and right. I think he does. I think he tells that in a really smart way. And I also think a smart decision was like the, the mob influence, the mob presence on the show with like, you mm-hmm. know, racket protection and stuff. That's always there. And obviously, they're really connected with Vincent uh, in terms of the story. But an easy mistake would be to focus on the gangsters because, you know, romanticizing the mafia of that time is something mm-hmm. we do a lot in Hollywood, right? Uh, but they don't do that. They're just kind of on the periphery, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they had that moment in season one where they go and, um, you know, they start the construction site stuff where the, they beat up that foreman and stuff. But like overall, they're kind of just in the background, just there, right? Like Mr. Martino and whatnot. So in one, one hand, that's like an untapped well, but I also think it's kind of smart that they don't make it about the mob, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I agree with that at the same time. I think that is definitely going to come back to them in some way. Cause they're going to be that overarching theme with, yeah. with Vince, where if things start to go to shit, he's obviously going to have to be dealing with that. Um, It'll be really interesting when they they do season three just on the docks uh, of uh, New York City, so sure. and how that influences it. Um, but I think the Deuce we can both say with confidence is a show uh, you need to be watching, need to be checking out, um, stay up to date on it because we're going to be talking about it as it goes on. We'll probably do a recap at the end of the season unless an episode really feels like it needs to be talked about. Also, uh, we're going to be talking about Insecure in coming weeks, uh, season two of American Vandal. And I'm catching up on BoJack right now as well. Um, I hear that this episode's as excellent as it usually is with one standout episode, which they usually seem to have per season. So they got uh, locked down. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we'll be mentioning it at some point. So uh, get your Netflix and your HBO subscriptions and keep up to date with us. Right, let's jump to a simple favor. Paul Feig getting that 83% on Rotten Tomatoes with this this joint. I can't believe it that this movie is that high. I, I was kind of shocked because I liked it, but I left just being like, this movie is so extra, like <laughs> definition of extra. What was your reaction to leaving the theater? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a wild ride. It's a script that really compounds on itself by act three. Mm-hmm. Um, just really moves at a rapid pace by the end of the film. But this was one of the rare movies that I went in and I hadn't seen a trailer for this. I just I saw the good reviews. I'm like Paul Feig, that's good enough for me. I'll go. Um, and yeah, I was I was obviously pleasantly surprised. But I actually really didn't know what was going on. But 
Yeah, no, I um, I think there were a lot of moments where this movie could have cut off the rails or just not worked as well. But you know, I think Paul Feig's a, a talented guy, great pedigree, and uh, he uh, landed the plane. You know, I think the movie movie's really entertaining. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's it's incredibly fun to watch, and that's kind of what I left thinking about this movie was. Uh, I was describing it to a coworker, and they and after telling them about the plot, they're like, "That sounds so ridiculous." And I was like, "Yeah, but it was really fucking fun." <laughs> and I was like, "You know, this is the kind of movie where if it came on at, like on in the afternoon, just like flipping around the channels, I probably wouldn't flip away from this, just because it seems like there's always something catchy, always an interesting relationship on the screen, interesting back and forth dialogue, something um, that really catches you. And I think uh, Blake Lively in particular is just like." fabulous in this movie like i you really like can't take your eyes off her and she's goddamn electric um and her and kendrick her and anna kendrick seem to have a lot of chemistry too on yep. screen which i thought was uh huge for this film since they share so much of the story together um yeah tell me a little bit about uh your thoughts around our guy henry golding though in this film mm. hot off crazy rich agents nick mm-hmm. young back again um yeah, I think it was, it was another another good showcase for him. You know, he's uh, had quite the, what, two months, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I thought he, he was good in his role as uh, Blake Lively's uh, husband. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way that, especially once he becomes more involved in the story from Act 2 onward, I think uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, he spoke to the chemistry between Lively and Kendrick. You know, I was initially kind of put off by Anna Kendrick's performance in the beginning. Mm. But then as her character changes, I was like, oh, wait, no, now she's hitting her stride. This is really great. Um, But Lively and and Golding, I think they, even them, like they don't have a whole lot of scenes together, but Mm. it works really well. Um, I thought they also played off each other really cool. So, yeah, it's funny because you look at this movie, like you just start, you you write everything down what happens. There's a lot of like movie cliches in this movie, you know, like Haunted House, um, weird family matriarch Mm -hmm. you know blackmail stuff like that um various tropes right but i i I gotta give paul feig a lot of credit because this is a novel adaptation but from what i gather there are some big changes that happened um he was able to to steer everything and it just builds tension uh maintains engagement the whole time that it's just so fun to watch especially when you're watching you know three you know, beautiful performers that have great chemistry mm. and are clearly having a great time, you know? Right. So, you know, I don't have a lot, lot to say. I was, I was honestly really impressed. Yeah, and it had, like, you talked about the tension it built. It had enough twists where when, when I thought I kind of figured out what was going on, something would happen that kind of flipped it back. So even though it had those tropes and uh, it did feel predictable at times, it definitely surprised me as well. And I, I really liked that. Um, I also thought that it did a really good job, like you said, of flipping Anna Kendrick's character and having some really good growth with with her, especially as she starts to kind of figure out Blake Ladley's background. I also think it mixes in some really hilarious moments as well. And like just some like ridiculous backstory stuff. Um, The whole Anna Kendrick fucking her brother thing is like... Yeah, I I could not. (laughs) I, I, I was like in shock at that. Um, and I think this is the kind of movie where as long as you go in knowing that this is going to be tropey and campy at times, but also 
just a fun watch, you're going to leave feeling totally satisfied. Yeah, agreed. It's, uh, you know, it's <laughs> one of the biggest surprises for me, for sure. We'll probably wrap up there. I don't think there's too much else to really say about a simple favor other than we recommend going and seeing it. Um, any, what do we got for next week before we wrap up and we do our Oscars uh, post game? Oscars, later? damn! Oh fuck! I'm really stuck on the Oscars day, man. Uh, Emmy's post game later. <laughs> uh, well, the number one thing on my list, of course, is Brockhampton's new album Iridescence coming out on Friday. Oh yeah! Um, stoked to sell for that. They recorded all in London on Abbey Road, uh, and they've had quite the whirlwind summer uh, as a as a group. So interested to see what they have to say on that um also interesting i'm not excited for this at all but little wayne's the carter five is coming out on friday uh, all the label issues aside it's finally out coming out um my oh, thing God. is why were we excited about 2013 little wayne it wasn't that great <laughs> then either so uh, w- w- what's the big deal this is not like this is like the drought little wayne you know so it's like it's still old over the hill little wayne it's just five years old i, I don't get the get the hype um <laughs> me neither uh god um yeah and then i think any movies for next week that we're gonna be talking about yeah i haven't checked the total uh, release of it yet but if it's out i'm interested in uh, assassination nation i believe mm. it's a sundance film i've seen the trailer it looks really cool uh, it's basically about how social media takes over this town and all the high school kids start killing each other and stuff. And it uh, looks really unique. And I'm stoked for that. There's been a lot of good movies about social media uh, that are more realistic these days, like Searching mm-hmm. in Eighth Grade. Yep. So a little more uh, fantastical play on that. Uh, sign me up for that. Definitely. And we'll probably be uh, talking about some other albums, any other news that comes up. Um, so stay tuned and also uh, it, you're probably going to be listening to this after our Emmys post game but go give that a listen and a share see if our predictions were right and uh, just hear the overall breakdown what these awards might mean for uh, the shows that we love moving forward so for Dave Martinson I'm Pat Sheehan go to our Twitter page at, page at Nostalgia Pod give us a follow SoundCloud, soundcloud.com Pod. we love you peace out What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, coming at you live after dark, giving you our Emmys reactions, not our Oscars reactions, our Emmys reactions. Uh, Dave, where to begin, man? I mean, uh, a couple surprises, a couple not so surprises of the night. What what stood out to you? Let's start there. Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, totally cleaning up in comedy. Uh winning all but one award right dominating the first half hour of the program just in general and then yeah i think they only lost one of one category that they were up for yeah uh which was what tony shalhoub losing to uh henry 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 winkler right which i mean well i think we we knew winkler was probably going to come away with that one shalhoub a, a distant uh had a, had a long shot and, he, the, and he's also board. won two emmys before so yeah yeah and he he was good at, he was good in it it's just winkler i think his part demanded a little bit more um and that's also probably why hater beat out glover for best uh best actor outstanding uh, performance for an actor in a comedy series which i guess that's that's something we can look at is Maisel cleaned up atlanta didn't really 
take home a lot of the awards people thought that they might. Yeah, you know, I think it kind of speaks to, and you can see this throughout the whole show, is the uh, a lot of those awards, those races where we thought, oh, maybe they'll rest on their laurels, go with, you know, shows, performers that they're comfortable with that have won before. They'll just do that again. Uh, you know, probably everyone was saying it the most about Donald Glover. He'll probably just win mm-hmm. a second time, unfortunately. Which, you know, not that he's not deserving, of course, by the second choice, but they didn't do that. They went with Bill Hader for a freshman season, which there's mm-hmm. precedent for that as well, going with what what's new. But, you know, I thought that was just really cool to see that they didn't go with Donald Glover again. They didn't go with Handmaid's Tale again, you know? They kind of mm-hmm. changed it up. They weren't afraid. Or they went back to stuff, like Peter Dinklage, for example. Yeah, and I think that was something that, you know, kind of speaking to your point, they've failed to do in the past. You know, um, you think about, like, Mad Men or the, the Americans, a great example of shows that probably deserved to get a lot more time than they did, but a lot of series kept winning over and over Breaking Bad back when it was having its run pretty much one every year near the end of its run um and a lot of shows didn't get a shine not saying it's not deserved but the there's a precedent for you know the emmys kind of rolling that way i also think it speaks to just how strong of a show mazel and barry have been um and revelations kind of in their field especially with veep kind of stepping back really allowed these two shows kind of step up atlanta i think also I mean, I, th- I think it's the best show on TV, um, but there were some people that I think felt like this season didn't compare to the first season in different ways. Now, I think that that's, I would disagree with that because I mm-hmm. think it did a lot of different things, took a lot more chances than shows normally do, and I think it's the most thoughtful and well done show on, on TV at the moment, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to see some, some other shows get, get their shine. Yeah, I was disappointed Teddy Perkins didn't didn't win you know i thought that was pretty clearly the best uh was that that was for writing right or was it directing yeah for writing i think it was up for writing yeah oh no no, no. uh Which, it was directing because it was a uh, hero hero, hero Mariah that's right yeah it was up for that so you know i thought um, the pilot for mazel made a lot of sense but mm-hmm. man teddy perkin that's a tough one because it's a really unique episode that'll stand out for you know forever at this point yeah uh, I mean, it, probably the, the episode of, of TV I thought about most this year. Um, kind of haunting in a lot of ways. Um, what else stood out to you? Uh, you know, something I think we were both surprised at, Laura Dern not taking it home uh, in, in TV movie. Yeah, losing to Regina King, Seven Seconds, miniseries on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't expect that for sure. I mean, people love Le- Regina King, but... You know, you just thought HBO would have had that in the bag. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have Big Little Lies this year. That was their big mini limited series slash movie push, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't yep. pan out. Um, Godless took home a couple wins. I thought I thought Netflix actually had a, a decent showing um, yep. compared to what I thought they would come home with tonight. And, uh, you know, they were nominated in a lot of the major categories, and, um, you know, I think you had, what, Jeff Daniels and, uh, I'm forgetting the girl's um, name from Merritt Weaver. Godless. Yes, both take home awards, which is great. Um, Godless, I think a show we, we 
haven't even really mentioned on the show, but something if we had more time, we would love to get to. Um, and it kind of kept Versace out for a while, but Versace ended up taking home uh, the big awards in that category, you know, best actor, best outstanding, outstanding limited or outstanding limited series. Um, I know neither one of us is really a big fan of Versace. Um, what, what were your thoughts on it? Just taking it home. Yeah. I mean, the first award of one was for directing. And I think if you look at any of the critical conversation around Versace, most people would champion just that. I think the show is, I guess, unique in that regard, the way it's constructed, the way it's, you know, the whole season is structured, that it's mm-hmm. more of a technical achievement than a storytelling one. Because I think ultimately the storytelling started to fall flat for me. For a lot of people, I think it was a little too long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. So I understand, especially, you know, it's limited series, you know, year to year. There's, you know, not that many true, true, you know, uh, shows in that field to really compete. So, you know, you understand that. Um, so I was, you know, I didn't mind that. And then I think Darren Chris is a worthy winner. I think he really chewed on the role of Andrew Kinane. And, and yeah, while he's not a likable uh, uh, character, obviously, uh, it was a really good performance. So. You know, I didn't mind that. It just it was watching Ryan Murphy walk up there a few times. I was like, <laughs> "This guy's leaving FX, going to Netflix." Like, yeah, man, he's just, crazy, he's a hit, just a hit maker. Yeah, and you know, also kind of speaking to another win Netflix had USS McAllister. Um, I think I was a little surprised that they took home the uh, award for what was that best uh, script or no, that was the uh, limited series, li- limited no, best no, the, the movie. The, Best uh, that was best television movie. movie, right? And that 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 was at the expense of uh, the tale, Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Once again, you know, um, has Black Mirror won before? I thought Black Black Mirror did win something last time. Yeah, it won San Junipero last year. Right, same category. So I thought I thought Yusuf Callister was really strong. So I was happy to see that. Honestly, I thought that was one of the most uh, conceptual episodes they've done. You know, it's you know really cool and I, I love that Charlie Brooker actually shouted out Twilight Zone in Star Trek on uh, mm-hmm. during, in his speech your guy Jesse Plemons looking uh, a little ridiculous tonight though you see you see him on the red carpet <laughs> <laughs> that mustache just ridiculous Steve from Stranger Things his flow dude I, I think his flow is like double the size of his head at this Go point hairy, it's, man. it's pretty incredible <laughs> so um, you know why don't we talk quickly about Americans? We were both pumped when Matthew Reese got the W for Outstanding Actor in a Drama Series. And I actually I texted you saying, oh, Carrie Russell's got this in the bag then. Because if Matthew Reese is getting these votes, Carrie Russell is going to get these votes too. Uh, not the case. Claire Foy taking it home. And then Outstanding Drama went to Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. On a weaker season, Game of Thrones still taking home Outstanding Drama. Um, did the Americans get jobbed? Ultimately, I mean, it is a tough ask, you know, given the history of the Emmys, not really paying much attention to the Americans beyond nominating it, you know, after a few seasons. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought, seeing that they recognized the directing of the finale, and you know, gave Matthew Reese obviously in the final season. I was like, all right, all right. They, they know the show. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they they understand that people are rooting for it. 
but no, it uh, didn't pan out that way. I don't know. Um, Kerry Russell one really jumped out to me just because I was like, all right, if Kerry Russell doesn't win, it's probably because Sandra wins, which is, you know, mm-hmm. she's amazing in Killing Eve, and she's really likable. She's a TV veteran. Um, you know, very easy to explain or think about, but Claire Foy won for her final go from the, for the crown before the cash changes, and another performance that's well-liked, um, but I don't think there was nearly as much clamoring for it, so that's a, you know, it's disappointing, but, you know, it's not like highway robbery or anything um but yeah the series mm-hmm. thing it's like did thrones need another win especially for a down year not really mm-hmm. same thing with peter dinklage it's like as, as we said on our predictions episode last week soundcloud climb slash nostalgia pod like how much has dinklage really chewed on recently right. on the show right he's been more of a side piece and that's not his mm-hmm. fault it's just the way the story's going the way the scripts are going so that just seemed like kind of like a a look back you know oh what's this go with thrones again you know no one will be too pissed about it again it's not like they're not deserving obviously i think thrones even with a down year is still excellent um mm-hmm. but yeah it's a little bittersweet that americans didn't fully you know take it all home but two great wins nonetheless yeah it's it, the interesting thing i think about dinkley just that he had so much to do in the first couple seasons like you said his role has been kind of i don't want to say reduced but just his character arc has taken a bit of a lull in the last couple whereas someone like jamie has had a lot to do in the last couple of seasons i feel like especially with what's happening with the lannisters and with cersei's rise to power right. and his kind of role and everything that's happening i feel like his performance might have been some uh one to recognize rather than Tyrion. but uh you know it is what it is thrones i mean I guess, no, like you said, no one can get mad at it, but I, I really think Americans should have gotten that nod, especially kind of landing the plane in, in, the, la- in the final season, mm-hmm. having an ending where people were generally pleased with it. Um, I, I was a little disappointed with that outcome. Uh, why don't we just ra- – do you have any other thoughts before we kind of go to winners and losers of the night? Uh, no, let's go. Let's keep moving. All right. So why don't we start with losers? Who do you got for losers tonight? Um, I mean, I guess you kind of got to go with Atlanta overall yeah um did they win anything before the program i forgot to check that i can't recall you know like they, you know all the guests act- oh um cat williams won for like- guest actor so the, okay some stuff but <laughs> they missed out on all the major things this year um don glover is probably the most head. likely you know i re- would have loved to see brian Ty- tyree henry win but you know henry winkler mm-hmm. had in the bag so but you know i think still atlanta first show that's still championed is the best show or like you know mm-hmm. the top three show on tv right now uh to come away with basically nothing is a little disappointing for them what about fx would you consider them a loser tonight uh no because you know versace they took home three was on fx uh see it's almost like yeah they they got those three awards but like you said ryan murphy the guy who's taking home these awards for them ain't gonna be there any longer <laughs> Uh, it's a bit bittersweet uh probably went wins for them in some ways uh i would consider colin jose michael che losers i i didn't find them to, i thought they started off pretty well they had a decent opening monologue but then i felt like they went back to the the bit with um maya rudolph uh, and fred Armisen. yeah and it, i felt like that just fell flat every time uh, yeah bad snl skit that we couldn't get out of yeah i thought the so I, I thought they were fine in the beginning. I actually really liked the uh, 
self-deprecating nature that they were Mm -hmm. discussing, you know, using that lens about the Emmys. I like that a lot. Um, But then their presence just kind of faded away throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And like you said, yeah, I think going back to the Maya Rudolph bit with Fred Armisen, it's just, it's like diminishing returns. Like I thought the first, the first time they did it was funny, but it was also already starting to feel a little long and they kept going back. So yeah, it just seemed like, you know, we could have probably went with James Corden, you know, I think it would have been a lot better. Um, but you know, Lauren Michaels produced this. He went with, you know, two of his guys. So it's not surprising, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I thought they, um, they didn't have enough of the presence in there. Obviously the, far cry from what jimmy kimmel does for the oscars every year you know right yeah it's i mean i i don't i wouldn't put the emmys in the same stratosphere for award shows as the oscars but still uh it's it's not even really making the push with uh, people hosting speaking of corden though i thought when corden came up to present whatever he presented he had like three Mm -hmm. funny quips in like 30 seconds i actually really laughed at that you know like (laughs) Yeah, that. Corden's electric, man. Um, I I would like to see him get some more hosting gigs. I'm sure he will moving forward. He's he's a great talent. All right, why don't we wrap up with uh, winners? I think it's obvious HBO's a winner tonight. Uh, Dinklage, Hater, Tandy Newton. Which shout out that Samurai episode because I'm pretty sure that took it home for her. Um, Thrones getting the big win, obviously. Anything else from uh, HBO? I'm, I'm missing here. Um, I think that was it. That's the major stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, Barry. Net- oh, Barry, obviously. Um, Netflix, you know, Claire Foy, Godless, John Mulaney getting mm-hmm. a win. Um, Regina King. Uh, I mean, it's a couple that you weren't expecting there. Uh, he was McAllister. Yeah, Amazon and, and Maisel as well. Just, uh, you know, for uh, a, a company right now that's trying to really figure out its strategy moving forward, you know, they, they there's all the reports about them uh, putting, uh, making a, a billion dollars, putting a billion dollars into this Lord of the Rings show or something like that yep. moving forward. Mm-hmm. Having something like Maisel, which you know is just going to be like cash money for the next couple of years and is going to be a critical darling as long as it's on, is uh, it's pretty exciting for them. So a uh, good, good piece to have moving forward. Any other winners for you? I would still say the Americans are a winner. They won two awards, including mm-hmm. best, uh, best actor, you know. Mm-hmm. So and it, it, part of that is given the track record of the right. Americans not winning anything. So I would say yeah. that winner. Um, yeah. And I, I think the only other person that's a winner tonight is Betty White. Yeah. Cause uh, America still loves Betty White, man. Didn't, didn't expect that. Um, nah. Was there, did they, uh, did I miss it? Was there like a, a specific reason beyond was it, did her birthday just happen or something? Like, <laughs> I think it was just like a lifetime achievement, like acknowledgement or right. something like that. They're like, Betty White's old, and we all just love her, so yeah, let's and it, roll her out. And it's like, yeah, she was a little slower to like to the punch, but she's still yeah. like up, up, upstairs. She still had the wit, you know, so yeah. that was great to see. <laughs> love me some Betty White, man. Um, yeah, overall, I think I think, it, I think the award show was good. It could have been about a half hour shorter. It really stretched out the end, but uh, Emmys, you know, uh, I, I thought it was an enjoyable show. Interesting to have it on a Monday night. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll see. We'll see what the ratings are. Yeah, and I was thinking about it too. Like you're putting it up against week two Monday Night Football. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, and I don't know how much cross pollination with the audience that really, really is there. But you know, I guess you're giving yourself a baked in excuse. But you know, that's why not. That's also why I liked a lot of the beginning bits. They're like, 
yeah, the ratings will be bad. You know, no one's <laughs> yeah. watching. Thousands of people in here, hundreds of people out there. I was like, well, these <laughs> yeah. are good jokes, you know? Make fun of it. Go with it, you know? And yeah. it's kind of fade mm. away. Th- yeah, they faded pretty quick. Um, but that that's it for us for tonight. Uh, hit us up with your Oscar thoughts at Nostalgia Pod. Or, Oscar thoughts, uh, dog, early. Oh, man. Emmy thoughts. I'm going to keep saying Oscars. It's terrible. Uh, give us your Emmy thoughts. Uh, comment below or hit us up at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter. Um, we want to hear wh- whether you thought they got it right, got it wrong, who you thought should have gotten it. Um, also, subscribe to the pod, soundcloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod. Uh, catch it everywhere that you listen to your, your podcast. Have a good night. This has been Nostalgia After Dark. Yeah.